Our family checked this book out at the library uh, this week. It's Letters to Children by C.S. Lewis. A believer, a Christian, one who wrote books that many of you maybe are familiar of, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Mere Christianity, Screwtape Letters. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be preaching from C.S. Lewis's letters this morning. Why? A believer who is writing letters to someone else. There's other such collections of these letters as well. I just grabbed a few off my shelf. One, the letters of Francis Schaeffer. It's a Presbyterian pastor. He's going to be with the Lord now. An apologist who wrote letters to those that he was shepherding, who struggled, who needed to grow in their understanding of the gospel and faith. But I'm not preaching from Francis Schaeffer's letters this morning. There's other collections we have. The letters of John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace. Another guy, Samuel Rutherford, one of the Scottish guys who was present in helping develop the Westminster Confession of Faith. Again, not preaching from these godly men, pastors, theologians who are writing to believers in churches and communities. They haven't been added into our, our Bible. There's other great godly men throughout history Leaders in the church, going back even to the early days. Guys like Polycarp, who followed John the Apostle, who wrote letters. Irenaeus. Why have those not been included in our scriptures? And do we not read from them? These Christians who are writing letters to churches and to believers. Yet this morning, we are going to begin a study together of a letter, a letter written by a guy named Paul to believers in a city called Rome. Why do we have Paul's letters, the letters of some other guys too? John has a few letters in the the New Testament. Peter has a couple of letters in the New Testament. The God named James has a letter in the New Testament. What is it? about these letters, particularly this morning, our attention is directed to this letter Paul wrote to the the, the believers in Rome. Why is it in our New Testament? Why are we gathered this morning and are we going to sit and listen to teaching from this particular letter and seek to orient our lives and our belief around it? We need to recognize and understand this. Why listen to Paul? Who is this guy? These questions that we may have are questions that Paul was anticipating as he was writing to this church in Rome. Most of them he had not met. Paul did not plant or start this church. He's writing to them this message seeking to communicate to them that they should take what he is writing seriously. What is it about Paul's message that makes it unique? That the the church in Rome should listen to it and that we today should listen to it and apply it to our lives and begin to shape how we live and think and believe according to it. That's what we want to begin to look at this morning. Because that's where Paul starts off his letter. 
So, if you would, look with me in the letter of Paul to the Romans. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 939. We'll look at the first 15 verses together this morning. This introduction of Paul's letter. So follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let's pray. God, we thank you as the God who speaks, who reveals yourself. We thank you that you have revealed yourself through your prophets. You've revealed yourself in these last days through your Son, You continue to reveal Yourself through the Scriptures passed on to us through the teaching of Your Apostles. We thank You for the variety of ways that You've revealed Yourself uh, in old narrative histories through uh, accounts of, of, of law, through psalms and songs and wisdom literature and prophecies and letters. We pray this morning that the living and active Word of God would accomplish your purposes, would it not return void? Would you do all that you intend to do through the reading and the preaching of your Word in each and every one of our lives this morning? For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. What, What is it about this message of Paul What makes it unique? Why include it? Why listen to it? Why is it in our Bibles? Why do we need to listen? These questions are before the the Roman 
church as well. As I said, they hadn't met Paul before. What we're going to see is Paul seeks to uh, establish and address some of these potential concerns, showing us three things, I think, this morning to draw our attention to about this message that Paul brings. So kids, if you're keeping track, you can listen for these three things. Uh, Paul is, is bringing an authorized message. Paul is bringing an old message. And Paul is bringing an international message. Authorized, old, international. So first, notice this message of Paul is unique. It's special. It's different. Because it's authorized. Notice there in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He goes on down and explains it even further there in verses 4 and 5. And speaking about Jesus Christ our Lord, at the end of verse 4, he says, Through then, Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. Paul here is calling himself and identifying himself as being a servant of King Jesus. In a different way than we all are generally servants of Jesus, Paul has a unique role and a unique calling that has come to him directly from King Jesus. Notice what Paul calls that. It is that he is an apostle. One who has been set apart by God for this message that he is delivering that comes from God. He has received this apostleship from Jesus himself, Paul tells us. What, what is an apostle? An apostle is one of Jesus' authorized spokespersons. One that has been uniquely tasked by the resurrected Lord Jesus himself to carry out his authorized teaching and explanation of the good news of his message, his gospel, his announcing, and to teach people how to live in light of that. Uh, there's uh, a handful of, uh, of guys in the New Testament, those who, who walked directly with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry to the end, who heard his teaching, who witnessed his resurrection and his signs and his wonders, his death, and who have been called and appointed by him to carry out this message. But Paul is a little different. This guy, Paul, if you read in the book of Acts, starting in, uh, beginning in chapter 8, you'll encounter a guy named Saul. It's the same guy. Saul is his Hebrew Aramaic version of his name. Paul would have been more of his Romanized way of, uh, of communicating and explaining it. His name never changed. He's just called by, uh, by two names. But Saul was a harsh terrorist and persecutor of Christians. He was a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders of the Jews. And when he heard that other Jews were trusting and hoping in this Jesus of Nazareth, who they said died and rose from the dead, who was God in the flesh and who suffered on their account on the cross and rose, and that through faith in Him you can be restored and united and have salvation. Paul saw this as being a, a rejection of what the Old Testament taught. 
and of the traditions of his Pharisees. And he sought and he got letters to go and find these Christians who proclaimed faith in Jesus, to pursue them, to arrest them, to throw them into prison, for some of them to be murdered and slaughtered. And it tells us that Saul or Paul looked over the murder of these Christians for their faith in Jesus, and he looked over it with approval until one thing happened. He was on his way to Damascus to find more Christians to imprison and kill. And the resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus appeared before this, the most harsh terrorist at the time. And he struck him down to his knees with blindness. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, Saul recognized and understood that he was in opposition to his God and his King. And Jesus declared to him that I am going to use you and send you to be my messenger to the Gentiles, to those who aren't Jews, that they might know and hear the good news of my gospel. And so Jesus himself appoints and calls Paul to be the one who carries out and communicates his message. And so, as we hear Paul speaking, this message that Paul is communicating is not Paul's message himself. It's not just the mere words of men. Notice what Paul calls it here. He has been set apart for what? For the gospel, the good news message of God. It comes from God himself. Paul is the authorized communicator as he is speaking and passing on this news to God's people, we are to receive it as receiving the Word of God. Why? Because Paul is his authorized spokesperson, his apostle. Paul later, as he's writing to another, he wrote a lot of letters. Most of the ones in the New Testament are written by Paul. He's writing to a church in Thessalonica and he praises them that they received his Word not as the words of men, but as what they really were, the words of God. This message that Paul communicates, while we have his letter in here, and why it is necessary that the church in Rome recognize who it is that's writing to them and what it is that he's communicating to them is significant because he's writing to them and communicating to them the Word of God. And what that means is we can't reject what Paul says. Notice what he communicates and tells us the implications of the fact that this message that Paul is writing is authorized communication, an authorized message from God himself. Notice what he, what he says down in verse 5. He's received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. You see, the implications of this authorized message coming from God through His authorized spokesperson means that all who hear it must obey. We do not have the option to just dismiss what Paul writes and says as if it's C.S. Lewis writing us a letter. Or it's some guy in your community who has written a letter to the editor whose opinion you disagree with or who you think has just made a mistake. You see, we are going to encounter 
some hard and difficult teaching in this letter that Paul is communicating. Things that that have to do with the, the heart and basis of the gospel and God's pronouncement over how we are viewed before Him apart from Christ. Paul is going to communicate some hard and difficult things that were at odds with the Roman culture and are at odds with our culture regarding sexuality, regarding who has authority over our bodies, how we define sin, what pleases God, what doesn't, how we relate to one another in relationships, how we should respond to government, whether they're good leaders or not. We do not have the freedom to just dismiss to alter, to change, to just say Paul was confused. Uh, Paul is a bigot. Paul lacks tolerance. These are just the views of an old guy from way back in the day. We have advanced and things have changed. No. This is an authorized message from God's authorized spokesperson directly called on and given the authority from the risen Jesus himself. And this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans then in the mid-A.D. 50s was authoritative for them. And because our God doesn't change, this message is authoritative for us. And so we, like the Roman church, need to listen and hear and understand that what we are reading And what is being communicated to us and the one who is communicating to us is God's spokesperson. And we, like he writes to this church, need to give our ears and our attention and make sure that we respond in obedience and faith to what it is that Paul is communicating to us. We must not and we cannot stray from this teaching No matter how hard it is, no matter how costly it might be, no matter how much it might grate against our own desires and our longings or what the culture communicates to us or our perspective in the past, we must receive this for what it is, an authorized message from our God through his authorized spokesperson to us, his church. How do we know? How do we know, though? Maybe sometimes you get emails or texts from the IRS, from the Department of Social Services, from Amazon, from your bank, saying, hey, you know what? Something's wrong with your, uh, your account. Somebody's tried to access it, and so we've locked it down. And what you need to do is, if you contact us through this link then what we'll do is we'll verify your information to make sure that what we have is, uh, is what you have. Your credit card, your social security number, all of that, so that we can make sure that your account is secure. There's a problem with that. It, it may look authoritative in the way that the email or the text is structured or the website that you go to, uh, but there's something wrong with it because this is a new message that they're sending to you. It's not the old way that the bank or Amazon or the IRS or Department of Social Services has always communicated with their people through a direct 
uh, letter sent to you in the mail or uh, a, a phone call in a way to, to authenticate what it is. Uh, you see, by, by deviating from the, the old message and the old way that they communicated to their people, this is, should send signals off and give us a pause to consider maybe this might be something else. Maybe this is a scam. And here, notice, Paul is making sure that we recognize and understand that this message that he has for the church in Rome and the church today is not just an authorized message, but it's an old message. It's consistent with the way that God has always and what he has always been revealing to his people about the person and the work of the Savior. Notice, not just an authorized message, but an old message. Look in verse 2. He's been set apart for the gospel of God, that's message, which, this good news message, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who has descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. This, this message that Paul is communicating is it innovative. It's not new. It's not something that Paul just came up on with by himself. It is consistent in the fulfillment of what God has always, this old message that God has communicated. Paul is just sharing to us the fulfillment and explaining to us what God has always promised to His people. There's only, only and always been one way to be saved. That's through trusting and believing in the promises of God. There's never been any way for you to earn or merit your salvation before your God. You always needed to trust and rely on the, the sacrifice that God provided and gave as a means for His people to be made right with Him. This isn't new. God has always promised that He would send one who would come. Notice, Paul is relating it to what we who've been here recently should know that this Jesus, His Son, descended from David according to the flesh. Did we not see that in First and Second Samuel? That God promised to David that He would send one of His relatives who would sit on His throne who would rule and reign forever, not just over Israel, but over all things. Paul is saying, the fulfillment of that promise has come true. And what I'm proclaiming to you is what God has always been proclaiming and pointing to. And that person is Jesus. He's the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises, of the one given to Adam and Eve, that one would come who would defeat and crush the serpent of the promise given to Abraham that he would send one of his particular and unique offspring who would bring blessing to the world and through him kings would come. The promise given to Moses that a prophet like him would come who would direct and lead and guide and instruct God's people. This prophecy given to David as well. And we are those who now look back on those fulfilled promises explained to us by Jesus' authorized spokespersons that we recognize that the one that God promised who would come to redeem and save His people 
through His death on the cross, would deliver sinners who look to Him in faith from the just wrath of God. How do we know that Jesus is this promised one? How do we know about this old message? Well, Paul tells us it's been confirmed. God has confirmed that Jesus is the fulfillment of this old, old message. How? Look. He descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus of Nazareth died on a Roman cross. He was put into a Jewish tomb, a dead body. And on the third day, He came out alive in power. There's witnesses, over 500 that He appeared to. Paul is saying here, if you had any doubts about who Jesus was and what He proclaimed and what He taught about Himself and how He related to the fulfillment of God's promises and that He Himself was Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, who always has come to His people, has now come to His people in the flesh to redeem and save them. The resurrection demonstrates that. And Paul is saying, this message that I am communicating and sharing to you is consistent with all of the Old Testament Scriptures. It is nothing new. I have not departed from the old, old message of our God. This is going to be important because there's a lot of people who are beginning to to distort and call into question Paul's teaching. He's going to address some of that as he goes through the book of Romans. It comes up in several others of his letters as well. Peter, uh, speaking later, reflecting on Paul's letters, talks about many people who distort and twist Paul's writings. And he says this, to their own destruction. But here, what we see Paul pointing us to is that what he is sharing is consistent with God's revelation, and it always has been. There is no need, and it is wrong, to pit Paul against the Old Testament, or to pit Paul against Jesus, as if there's the Christianity developed by Paul, and then the Christianity of history that was by Jesus that Paul altered and changed and distorted stuff, that these are innovations by him. No. What is important for us to recognize, and as we'll see Paul, he continues throughout this entire letter to go back time and time again to the Old Testament Scriptures, pointing us and showing us that what he is teaching is consistent with what God has always said about himself and about his people. In our day, the same things still happen. As people read Paul, they think he's some sort of uh, patriarchal fanatic, uh, one who is rooted in uh, still trying to break away from his pharisaical tendencies, uh, one who who innovated and began to expand and develop on uh, the, the, the meager teachings of Jesus, into making Christianity into to what we're believing today. And what you're believing today, you will hear some people say, is not the teaching of Jesus, not the Christianity of Christ, but it's the Christianity of Paul. 
And if you want to get to the root of what the, the, the New Testament really teaches, you need to move away from the Jesus of faith as promoted by Paul and those like him, and you need to go back to the Jesus of history. Anybody who says anything like that, and anybody who wants to say there's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament, or who says that Jesus and Paul are at odds in their teaching, need to completely and quickly dismiss that as error. And if you follow it, like Peter warns, you will find yourself on the path of destruction. He doesn't mean just for this life. He's talking about the destruction that we affirm this morning of eternal destruction. You see, this message that Paul is delivering and giving to us is consistent with the old message of how God has always revealed himself to his people and the message that he has communicated. Therefore, the Roman church needed to listen to what Paul was saying, reject those who, uh, who were the opponents of Paul and give their attention and their hearts to what he was writing and saying. Why? Because he's the authorized messenger of the authorized message that is this old message that's always being passed to God's people. So, we see we have an authorized message. Paul's message is also an old message. The last, we see it's an international message. If you've ever been in major international airports, you'll know that when you see signs on the wall, whether it's a welcome sign or, or other things, most of the time it's in a variety of different languages, the message that they're communicating. And important messages that are communicated in these international airports where there's a lot of international travelers will be announced over the loudspeaker as well in multiple languages. Why? It's a message that they want the entire international community that's there to understand, especially if it's an important one. If I'm in an airport traveling from another country and the message that's communicated is only in the language of that country, I'm going to have a hard time understanding what it is. And I'll just easily dismiss it because I'm going to think, well, it's not important. It's only for French people, not for me. But no, those in this airport the more, more important the message is must make sure that if their intention is to communicate it to the international community, then it's evident that it's for all of them. Notice here, this message that Paul is proclaiming, Paul the Jew is proclaiming, is an international message. Again, back over in verse 5. He received grace and apostleship from Jesus to do what? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Notice who he's writing to. Rome. The conquering enemy of the Jews at this time. Rome. The capital of this empire. And Paul is writing this letter to citizens in that city. This believing community would have been majority Gentile at this point. 
And Paul is writing to them and saying, this message that I am proclaiming is for all nations. And in fact, you question and wonder if that's the case. Notice what he says about these Roman believers. Verse 7, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, called by the God of Israel, called by Yahweh, called by Jesus of Nazareth, the Jewish carpenter who became king of the universe. He calls these international non-Jews into His kingdom. And God speaks over them and says, I love you. The Creator of the universe has a message of grace and love and peace that is not restricted to just one ethnicity, one culture but it spans space, time, geopolitical boundaries, economic barriers. It's an international message. It's a universal message that goes out that all must respond to and hear and believe. Notice, again, as he goes on, down in verses 13 to 14. Remember, I said Paul did not start this church. He's acquainted with some of the people who are in this church. We'll see that later as we look at the greetings he has at the end of the letter. He greets a ton of people. He knows folks who are there due to different traveling and things that he has, but he's never been to Rome. He's been prevented from going there. Notice what he says, why he so desperately wants to come to Rome. Notice in verse 13. um, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Jesus uses language of redeeming and saving people. Sometimes He uses uh, sheep language. Other times He uses harvest language. Here, what Paul is talking about is reaping in a harvest of those that Jesus is saving and redeeming from among this international community in Rome. God is pursuing them. God is saving and redeeming them. And Paul says, because I have been called by God to seek the obedience from all the nations, I want to come to Rome. He says... Here, he's under obligation. Obligation both to Greeks and barbarians. There in the the Roman context, that's how they distinguished the world. There were Greeks, kind of those who are part of the Roman world, and then there were barbarians, those outside of it. From the Jews' perspective, they used another distinguishing uh, categories, Jew and Gentile. In other words, Paul's just using their language to make sure they know This message that I'm proclaiming, God's intention, His desire, is that all would know and hear of the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and King and He offers salvation to sinners. And this message must go forth. It motivates and it drives Paul. 
In fact, we'll see later at the end in chapter 15 of this letter, one of the reasons he wants to go there is because he wants to go to the end of the earth at that time, from his perspective, Spain. And he needs the church in Rome to help him in this mission to plant churches and to see the gospel spread to those who have not heard the message of Christ. This motivates and drives Paul as he hears about God's heart. God is the pursuer and savior of sinners. It drives Paul to seek, to worship, to love this God. But also it drives him in evangelism and mission throughout the world. This is going to be important as we read this letter that he's written to the church in Rome. Because a lot of people read the book of Romans as just a collection of theological verses that expound and talk about these deep theological issues and topics. And we will encounter those and we'll dig deep into them. But if we don't come away with Paul's response, that if the study of these deep theological things that he's communicating as he's explaining to the church in Rome about this gospel that God has entrusted to him and the reason why this gospel must go to the nations, if we don't respond in worship, if we don't respond in a desire to see this message spread and proclaimed to those around us and to the nations, then we've missed it. We've missed the point because what it drove Paul to was worship, to seek worshipers and to proclaim the good news of this message of the God who called him to take this message of salvation for sinners through the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth to the nations. So, as we begin the study of this letter together, may we give our full attention to what we will encounter as we study in this book. Because what we're reading are not just the writings of some mere man. It is the very words of God written to us, His people. It's an authorized message. It's an old message. It's an international message. Which means every single bit of it applies to me and it applies to you. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your revelation to us through Christ, through the Scriptures of the Old and the New Testament. We pray that You would give us hearts and eyes to see and understand and believe who we are, who You are, and the profound and great need we have for Jesus in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.